Chapter Thirty, Part One of East Lynne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. East Lynne by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter Thirty, Part One. Barbara's heart at rest. Morning dawned. The same dull weather. The same heavy fall of snow. Miss Carlyle took her breakfast in bed, an indulgence she had not favoured for ever so many years. Richard Hare rose, but remained in his chamber, and Joyce carried his breakfast in to him. Mr. Carlyle entered whilst he was taking it. "'How did you sleep, Richard?' "'I slept well. I was so dead tired. What am I to do next, Mr. Carlyle? The sooner I get away from here, the better. I can't feel safe.' You must not think of it before evening. I am aware that you cannot remain here, save for a few temporary hours, as it would inevitably become known to the servants. You say you think of going to Liverpool or Manchester? To any large town. They are all alike to me. But one pursued as I am is safer in a large place than a small one. I am inclined to think that this man, Thorn, only made a show of threatening you, Richard. If he be really the guilty party, his policy must be to keep all in quietness. The very worst thing that could happen for him would be your arrest. Then why molest me? Why send an officer to dodge me? He did not like your molesting him, and he thought he would probably frighten you. After that day, you would probably have seen no more of the officer. You may depend upon one thing, Richard. Had the policeman's object been to take you, he would have done so not have contented himself with following you about from place to place. Besides, when a detective officer is employed to watch a party, he takes care not to allow himself to be seen. Now, this man showed himself to you more than once. Yes, there's a good deal in all that, observed Richard, for, to one in his class of life, the bare suspicion of such a crime brought against him would crush him for ever in the eyes of his compeers. "'It is difficult to me, Richard, to believe that he is in the class of life you speak of,' observed Mr. Carlyle. "'There's no doubt about it. There's none indeed. But that I did not much like to mention the name, for it can't be a pleasant name to you. I should have said last night who I have seen him walking with,' continued simple-hearted Richard. Mr. Carlyle looked inquiringly. "'Richard, say on.' "'I've seen him, sir, with Sir Francis Levison. Twice.' Once he was talking to him at the door of the betting-rooms, and once they were walking arm in arm. They are apparently upon intimate terms. At this moment a loud, flustering, angry voice was heard calling from the stairs, and Richard leapt up as if he had been shot. His door, not the one leading to the room of Miss Carlyle, opened upon the corridor, and the voice sounded close, just as if its owner were coming in with a hound. It was the voice of Mr. Justice Hare. "'Carlyle, where are you? Here's a pretty thing happened. Come down!' Mr. Carlyle for once in his life lost his calm equanimity, and sprang to the door, to keep it against invasion, as eagerly as Richard could have done. He forgot that Joyce had said the door was safely locked, and the key mislaid. As to Richard, he rushed on his hat and his black whiskers, and hesitated between under the bed and inside the wardrobe. "'Don't agitate yourself, Richard,' whispered Mr. Carlyle. There is no real danger. I will go and keep him safely. 
But when Mr. Carlyle got through his sister's bedroom, he found that lady had taken the initiative and was leaning over the balustrades, having been arrested in the process of dressing. Her clothes were on, but her nightcap was not off. Little cared she, however, who saw her nightcap. "'What on earth brings you up in this weather?' began she in a tone of exasperation. "'I want to see Carlyle. Nice news I have had.' "'What about? Anything concerning Anne or her family?' "'Anne be bothered,' replied the justice, who was from some cause in a furious temper. "'It concerns that precious rascal whom I'm forced to call son. I am told he is here.' Down the stairs leapt Mr. Carlyle four at a time, wound his arm within Mr. Hare's, and led him into a sitting-room. "'Good morning, Justice. You had courage to venture up through the snow. What's the matter? You seem excited.' "'Excited!' raved the Justice, dancing about the room, first on one leg, then on the other, like a cat upon hot bricks. "'So you would be excited, if your life were worried out, as mine is, over a wicked scamp of a son.' Why can't folks trouble their heads about their own business, and let my affairs alone? A pity but what he was hung, and the thing done with. "'But what has happened?' questioned Mr. Carlyle. "'Why, this has happened,' retorted the justice, throwing a letter on the table. "'The post brought me this just now, and pleasant information it gives.' Mr. Carlyle took up the note and read it. It purported to be from a friend to Justice Hare, informing that gentleman that his criminal son was likely to have arrived at West Lynn, or would arrive in the course of a day or so, and it recommended Mr. Hare to speed his departure from it, lest he should be pounced upon. "'This letter is anonymous!' exclaimed Mr. Carlyle. "'Of course it is!' stamped the Justice. "'The only notice I should ever take of an anonymous letter would be to put it in the fire,' cried Mr. Carlyle, his lip curling with scorn. "'But who has written it?' danced Justice Hare. "'And is Dick at West Lynn? That's the question.' "'Now, is it likely that she'd come to West Lynn?' remonstrated Mr. Carlyle. "'Justice, will you pardon me if I venture to give you my candid opinion?' "'The fool at West Lynn, running into the very jaws of death! By Jupiter! If I can drop upon him, I'll retain him in custody, and make out a warrant for his committal.' I'll have this everlasting bother over. I was going to give you my opinion, quietly put in Mr. Carlyle. I fear, Justice, you bring these annoyances upon yourself. Bring them upon myself, ranted the indignant Justice. I? Did I murder Hallijohn? Did I fly away from the law? Am I hiding? Beelzebub knows where. Do I take starts right into my native parish, disguised as a labourer, on purpose to worry my own father. Do I write anonymous letters? Bring them upon myself, do I? That cops all, Carlyle. You will not hear me out. It is known that you are much exasperated against Richard. And if your son serves you the same when he is grown up, shan't you be exasperated, pray? Fired Justice Hare. Do hear me. It is known that you are much exasperated and that any allusion to him excites and annoys you. Now, my opinion is, Justice, that some busybody is raising these reports and writing these letters on purpose to annoy you. It may be somebody at West Lynn, very near to us, for all we know. That's all rubbish, peevishly responded the Justice after a pause. It's not likely. Who'd do it? It's very likely, 
but you may be sure they will not give us a clue as to the who. I should put that letter in the fire and think no more about it. That's the only way to serve them. A pretty laugh they've had in their sleeve, if it is anybody near, at seeing you wade up here through the snow this morning. They would know you were bringing the letter to consult me. The justice, in spite of his obstinacy, he was somewhat easily persuaded to different views of things, especially by Mr. Carlyle, let fall his coat-tails, which had been gathered in his arms, as he stood with his back to the fire, and brought down both his hands upon the table, with force enough to break it. "'If I thought that!' he spluttered. "'If I could think it, I'd have the whole parish of West Lynn before me to-day, and commit them for trial.' "'It's a pity but what you could,' said Mr. Carlyle. "'Well, it may be, or it may not be, that that villain is coming here,' he resumed. "'I shall call in at the police station, and tell them to keep a sharp lookout.' "'You will do nothing of the sort, Justice,' exclaimed Mr. Carlyle, almost in agitation. "'Richard is not likely to make his appearance at West Lynn, but if he did, would you, his own father, turn the flood upon him? Not a man living but would cry shame upon you.' "'I took an oath I'd do it,' said the Justice. "'You did not take an oath to go open-mouthed to the police station upon the receipt of any despicable anonymous letter or any foolish report to say, I have news that my son will be here to-day, look after him. Nonsense, Justice. Let the police look out for themselves, but don't you set them on.' The Justice growled, whether in assent or dissent did not appear, and Mr. Carlyle resumed. "'Have you shown this letter to Mrs. Hare, or mentioned it to her?' "'Not I. I didn't give myself time.' I'd gone down to the front gate to see how deep the snow lay in the road when the postman came up, so I read it as I stood there. I went in for my coat and umbrella to come off to you, and Mrs. Hare wanted to know where I was going in such a hurry, but I did not satisfy her. "'I am truly glad to hear it,' said Mr. Carlyle. "'Such information as this could not fail to have a dangerous effect upon Mrs. Hare. Do not suffer a hint of it to escape you, Justice. Consider how much anxiety she has already suffered.' "'It's partly our own fault. Why can't she drive the ill-doing boy from her mind?' "'If she could,' said Mrs. Carlyle, "'she would be acting against human nature. There is one phase of the question which you may possibly not have glanced at, Justice. You speak of delivering your son up to the law. Has it ever struck you that you would be delivering up, at the same time, your wife's life?' "'Stuff,' said the Justice. "'You would find it no stuff.' So sure as Richard gets brought to trial, whether through your means or through any other, so sure will it kill your wife. Mr. Hare took up the letter, which had lain open on the table, folded it, and put it in its envelope. "'I suppose you don't know the writing?' he asked of Mr. Carlyle. "'I never saw it before that I remember. Are you returning home?' "'No. I shall go on to Beauchamp's and show him this, and hear what he says.' not much farther. Tell him not to speak of it, then. Beauchamp's safe, for his sympathies are with Richard. Oh, yes, they are, Justice. Ask him the question plainly, if you like, and he will confess to it. I can tell you, more sympathy goes with Richard than is acknowledged to you. But I would not show that letter to anyone else than Beauchamp, added Mr. Carlyle. Neither would I speak of it. Who can have written it? repeated the Justice. It bears, you see, the London postmark. It's too wide a speculation to enter upon, and no satisfactory conclusion could come of it. Justice Hare departed. 
Mr. Carlyle watched him down the avenue, striding under his umbrella, and then went up to Richard. Miss Carlyle was sitting with the letter, then. "'I thought I should have died,' spoke poor Dick. "'I declare, Mr. Carlyle, my very blood seemed turned to water, and I thought I should have died with fright. Is he gone away? Is all safe?' "'He's gone, and it's all safe.' "'And what did he want? What was it he had heard about me?' Mr. Carlyle gave a brief explanation, and Richard immediately set down the letter as the work of Thorn. "'Will it be possible for me to see my mother this time?' he demanded of Mr. Carlyle. "'I think it would be highly injudicious to let your mother know you are here, or have been here,' was the answer of Mr. Carlyle. "'She would naturally be inquiring into particulars, and when she came to hear that you were pursued, she would never have another minute's peace. You must forgo the pleasure of seeing her this time, Richard.' "'And Barbara?' "'Barbara might come and stay the day with you. Only—' "'Only what, sir?' cried Richard, for Mr. Carlyle had hesitated. "'I was thinking what a wretched morning it is for her to come out in.' "'She would go through an avalanche. She'd wade through mountains of snow to see me,' cried Richard eagerly, "'and be delighted to do it.' "'She always was a little fool,' put in Mr. Carlyle, jerking some stitches out of her knitting. "'I know she would,' observed Mr. Carlyle, in answer to Richard. "'We will try and get her here. "'She can arrange about the money I'm to have, just as well as my mother could, you know, sir.' "'Yes, for Barbara is in receipt of money of her own now, and I know she would not wish better than to apply some of it to you. "'Cornelia, as an excuse for getting her here, I must say to Mrs. Hare that you are ill and wish Barbara to come for the day and bear you company. Shall I? Say I'm dead if you like, responded Miss Corney, who was in one of her cross moods. Mr. Carlyle ordered the pony carriage and drove forth with John. He drew in at the grove. Barbara and Mrs. Hare were seated together and looked surprised at the early visit. Do you want Mr. Hare, Archibald? He is out. He went while the breakfast was on the table apparently in a desperate hurry. "'I don't want Mr. Hare. I want Barbara. I've come to carry her off.' "'To carry off Barbara?' echoed Mrs. Hare. "'Cornelia is not well. She had caught a violent cold, and wishes Barbara to spend the day with her.' "'Oh, Mr. Carlyle, I cannot leave Mamma to-day. She's not well herself, and she would be dull without me.' "'Neither can I spare her, Archibald.' It was not a day for Barbara to go out. How could he get to say a word to Barbara alone? Whilst he deliberated, talking on, though all the while to Mrs. Hare, a servant appeared at the sitting-room door. "'The fishmonger's boy's come up, ma'am. His master sent him to say that he fears there'll be no fish in to-day, in anything like time. The trains won't get up with this weather.' Mrs. Hare rose from her seat to hold a confab at the door with the maid, and Mr. Carlyle seized his opportunity. "'Barbara,' he whispered, "'make no opposition. You must come. What I really want you for is connected with Richard.' She looked up at him, a startled glance, and the crimson flew to her face. Mrs. Hare returned to her seat. "'Oh, such a day!' she shivered. "'I'm sure Cornelia cannot expect Barbara.' But Cornelia does, and there is my pony carriage waiting to take her before I go to the office. Not a flake of snow can come near her, Mrs. Hare. The large warm apron will be up, 
and an umbrella shield her bonnet and face. Get your things on, Barbara. Mamma, if you would not very much mind being left, I should like to go, said Barbara, with almost trembling eagerness. But you would be sure to take cold, child. Oh, dear, no, I can wrap up well. And I will see that she comes home all right this evening, added Mr. Carlyle. In a few minutes they were seated in the pony carriage. Barbara's tongue was burning to ask questions, but John sat behind them, and would have overheard. When they arrived at East Lynn, Mr. Carlyle gave her his arm up the steps, and took her into the breakfast-room. "'Will you prepare yourself for a surprise, Barbara?' Suspense, fear, had turned her very pale. "'Something that has happened to Richard,' she uttered. "'Nothing that need agitate you. He is here.' "'Here? Where?' Here, under this roof. He slept here last night. Oh, Archibald! Only fancy, Barbara. I opened the window at nine last night to look at the weather, and in burst Richard. We could not let him go out again in the snow, so he slept here, in that room next Cornelia's. Does she know of it? Of course. And Joyce also. We were obliged to tell Joyce. It is he you have come to spend the day with. But just imagine Richard's fear. Your father came this morning, calling up the stairs after me, saying he heard Richard was here. I thought Richard would have gone out of his mind with fright. A few more explanations, and Mr. Carlyle took Barbara into the room, Miss Carlyle and her knitting still keeping Richard company. In fact, that was to be the general's sitting-room of the day, and a hot lunch, Richard's dinner, would be served to Miss Carlyle's chamber at one o'clock. Joyce only admitted to wait on her. "'And now I must go,' said Mr. Carlyle, after chatting a few minutes. "'The office is waiting for me, and my poor ponies are in the snow.' "'But you'll be sure to be home early, Mr. Carlyle,' said Richard. "'I dare not stop here. I must be off not a moment later than six or seven o'clock.' "'I will be home, Richard.' Anxiously did Richard and Barbara consult that day, Miss Carlyle, of course, putting in her word. Over and over again did Barbara ask particulars of the slight interviews Richard had had with Thorn. Over and over again did she openly speculate upon what his name really was. "'If you could but discover someone whom he knows, and inquire it,' she exclaimed. "'I have seen him with one person, but I can't inquire of him. They are too thick together, he and Thorn, and are birds of a feather also, I suspect. Great swells both.' "'Oh, Richard, don't use those expressions. They are unsuited to a gentleman.' Richard laughed bitterly. "'A gentleman?' "'Who is it you have seen Thorn with?' inquired Barbara. "'Sir Francis Levison,' replied Richard, glancing at Miss Carlyle, who drew in her lips ominously. "'With whom?' uttered Barbara, betraying complete astonishment. "'Do you know Sir Francis Levison?' "'Oh, yes, I know him. Nearly the only man about town that I do know.' Barbara seemed lost in a puzzled reverie and it was some time before she aroused herself from it. "'Are they at all alike?' she asked. "'Very much so, I suspect. Both bad men.' "'But I meant in person.' "'Not in the least, except that they are both tall.' Again Barbara sank into thought. Richard's words had surprised her. She was aroused by it from hearing a child's voice in the next room. She ran into it, and Miss Carlyle immediately fastened the intervening door. It was little Archibald Carlyle. 
Joyce had come in with the tray to lay the luncheon, and before she could lock the door, Archibald ran in after her. Barbara lifted him in her arms to carry him back to the nursery. "'Oh, you heavy boy!' she exclaimed. Archie laughed. "'Wilson said that,' he lisped. "'If ever she has to carry me—' "'I've brought you a truant, Wilson,' cried Barbara. "'Oh, is it you, Miss Barbara? How are you, Miss? Naughty boy! Yes, he ran away without my noticing him. He's got now so that he can open the door.' "'You must be so kind as to keep him strictly in for today,' concluded Miss Barbara, authoritatively. "'Miss Carlyle is not well, and cannot be subjected to the annoyance of his running into the room.' End of chapter 30, part 1